reading, a scripture reading this morning is from Galatians chapter 3, verse 26 to chapter 4, verse 7. So in Jesus Christ, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. What I am saying is that as long as an heir is under age, he is no different from a slave, although he owns the whole estate. The heir is subject to guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. So also, when we were under age, we were in slavery under the elemental spiritual forces of the world. But when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has, has made you also an heir. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Thank you so much, Adam. And again, welcome to all uh, from as far west as Los Angeles and as south as uh, Florida, actually even further south, uh, Kingston, Jamaica. And thank you for joining with us. And we're continuing in our series on the book of Galatians. And we're in the latter part of the, of the end of chapter 3 to the first part of chapter 4. And Paul reminds us that uh, we are accepted and adopted by God. He reminds us that there is no Jew or Gentile in Christ, that God always comes into our world, and lastly, because of adoption, we are truly God's children. He reminds us in chapter 3, verse 26 and 27, so in Christ Jesus, you're all children of God through faith. For all of you were baptized in Christ. All of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. The word baptism is actually a transliteration of the Greek word baptizo, which means to immerse. In Hebrew, it is the word mikveh, has the same meaning, immersion. Basically, it is an immersion into another substance for the purpose of being saturated by it. So we are immersed into Christ for the sole purpose of being saturated by the Spirit of Christ. And this happens through faith. 
through the promise as we have spoke as we spoke of last week and the week before about the promise given to Abraham this happens through the promise which came before the law actually tells us 430 years before the law that's why we who are Gentiles can be called children of Abraham interestingly think about this that God actually came to Abraham when Abraham was himself a Gentile think carefully about that God came to Abraham Abraham at the time he was named Abraham when he was a Gentile because at that time there were no Jews no Judah no Israel no Hebrew and the word Gentile literally means nation or nations the word stems from the Hebrew term goy which means a nation and was applied both to the Hebrew and to other nations later the plural form of goyim especially with the definite article ha ha goyim or the nations meant nations of the world that were not Hebrew now Abraham was just a leader of one of those nations or tribes he was just a, a Gentile leader there wasn't anything special about him or doesn't seem like it but God chose him now that made him special God chose him and made him a promise while he was yet a Gentile that he would be the father of a special nation and that through his seed all the nations that is all Gentiles of the world would be blessed so why is it that there is no Jew or Gentile in Christ God wants to remind the Jews that they the Hebrew people actually had a Gentile background but were chosen by him for a special purpose of fulfilling his promise to all he wants to remind the Gentiles that they were included in the promise which declared that all nations of the world would be blessed remember Abraham was simply a leader of one of the tribes Plainly put, he was a leader of one of the Gentiles. We said that. He was a Gentile when God called him and when God gave him this promise. A promise for all nations, Jews and Gentiles. In other words, for all Gentiles. This promise was fulfilled in Christ. You know the whosoever will may come. Yeah, that deal. Understand that the promise was not exclusively for the Jews but it was channeled through the Jews that is through Abraham and his seed but the promise was for all Gentiles now when you think about that so just as God came to Abraham who was under the umbrella of the Gentile world that is when he was yet a Gentile 
and called him out from being a Gentile and sealed the covenant through Abraham's faith and God's promise. Likewise, God came incarnationally into our world under the law. For Christ was born under the law. That's what it says in chapter 4, in chapter 4 verse 4, that Christ was born under the law. So God came to us through Christ. Christ was born under the law. And while we were still under the law and called us out from being under the law and sealed this new covenant with the fulfillment of the promise, the same promise given to Abraham through faith. Hence, we are now under grace with no distinction between Jews and Gentiles. That distinction, friends, was done away with through the blood of Christ. Paul also reminds us that God always comes into our world. Verse 4 tells us that God sent his son. Verse 6, six tells us that God sent the spirit of his son to us. God always comes into our world so that we can be invited into his. The purpose of the Hebrew people in God's ultimate plan, their special status, responsibility, and calling is a wonderful and exhaustive study. Suffice to say here that God came into the Gentile world, called Abraham out, and made him a promise, made him a great nation, fulfilled that promise in Christ, who was a Jew, but now has opened the door of blessing and salvation to all Gentiles and all nations. The salvation plan has come full circle. We're truly Abraham's children. We're children of the promise. As the promise of Abraham was accepted by Abraham's faith and was counted unto him as righteousness, so too, God's promise of eternal life is accepted by us and our faith in Christ. And that, folks, is the benefit or the fulfillment of the promise. As we say in Jamaica, old time something, come back again. <laughs> God comes into our world. When we look at God's reaction, action, sorry, towards humanity, we understand that God always is the one. He always initiates. He's always coming into our world so that we might come into his. When God created Adam and Eve and they fell, the interesting thing is that even after they fell, it wasn't Adam who was crying out, God, 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 I need you. God, I need you. No, no, the scripture tells us it was God who was saying, Adam, Adam, where are you? It was God who came into Adam's world. It was God who came down you know, at the time for fellowship. It was God seeking out Adam. He came into Adam's world. 
He came into Abraham's world. The Lord had said to Abraham, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to a land I will show you. And that's in Genesis chapter 12. God was seeking out Abraham. He came into Abraham's world. God came into the world of Moses. Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb. Then God revealed himself in the burning bush and called Moses and instructed him, Take off your shoes from off your feet, for the place you're standing is holy ground. And when Moses said, you know, when God told Moses what he wanted to do, and Moses says, God, you know, he says, he says Lord, who should I say? Who should I say is sending me? And God said, I am that I am. Tell them, I am that I am, have sent you. God came into the world of Moses. Years later, God came into the world of a virgin girl. Luke chapter 1 tells us in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town of Galilee, to a virgin ple pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you are highly favored. The Lord is with you. You are highly favored among women led to Mary declaring, my soul doth magnify the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. But it was God who came into her world. God initiates. When Jesus walked on the face of this earth, he saw two men fishing. They were tending. He shouted out to them, Follow me! Follow me! And I will make you fishers of men. And Simon Peter and his brother Andrew left their nets and followed Christ. Moments later, he called to James and John, called the sons of thunder. <laughs> I wonder why. Can you imagine being having that nickname, Thons of, Sons of Thunder? What kind of uh, personality do you think that was? <laughs> They're energetic men. Uh, and he called them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. God always comes into our world. God came into the world of the Pharisee, a Pharisee named Saul, as he was on the Damascus road on a mission to persecute Christians with plan to arrest them and bring them to Jerusalem for punishment. God asked him, why are you persecuting me? Saul's answer, who are you, Lord? And what do you want me to do? The rest is history, folks. 
Because Saul submitted himself to God, he changed his name to Paul, and Paul became one of the greatest leaders in the early church and the author of so many uh, books of the New Testament. But God came into his world. And folks, God wants to come into your world today. He is divine, yet he became human so that we who are human can be restored into the image of the divine. He is divine, yet he became human so that we who are human can experience a touch of the divine because we were created in the image of God that image was tainted because of sin and Christ came to restore us back into that image that's the reason Christ came and because of that we can truly say that we are children of God not because we earn it but because God has accepted us and adopted us as his own. A Sunday school teacher was enrolling children in her class at the beginning of a year. They were promoting kids, moving kids up from one class to the next. And she wanted to write down the, you know, um, you know have the kids introduce themselves. And uh, she asked two boys, their ages. The boys had in introduced themselves as brothers and they looked about the same age. So she asked them, you know, how old are you and when's your birthday? One of the boys spoke up, he says, we're, we're both seven. My birthday is April 8th and his birthday is April 20th. That's 12 days apart. That's probably not twins. So the teacher had a puzzled look on her face. And one of the boys, probably accustomed to seeing the puzzled look on people's face if they introduce themselves and if their age comes up or their birthday comes up uh, just he just declared hey one of us is adopted to which the Sunday school teacher um, some people might say probably asked without thinking but she said uh, you know which one the answer was interesting because the two boys looked at each other and kind of grinned. Then the one who spoke first you know, said, uh, well, shrugged his shoulders and says, well, when we ask our dad, he just says that he loves us both. And our mom teases us and say that she can't remember which one of us was adopted. And then he says, well, I guess when we are old enough, they'll finally tell us. 
And after a pause, his brother looked at him and said, yeah. And by that time, it won't really matter, would it? I guess when we're old enough, they'll tell us. By that time, it won't really matter, would it? As children of God, does it matter that our biological, physical, geographical, cultural, or any other difference might, might have been at one time or another? Does it really matter? Not really. I mean, the United States is the third country that I've lived in. <laughs> I've lived in, you know, Jamaica, actually. You know, Jamaicans who migrate to the United States, you know, we, 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 we call ourselves Jamaicans. I don't know what I'll call my older son who was actually born in Trinidad. Um, but grew up in America with a Jamaican father, so you, you, you can figure out what you can, what you can call him. But does it really matter if we're talking about the church of God and the body of Christ? doesn't really matter. If you are in Christ, you are a child of the Lord God, born again, adopted legally into the family of God. And as children of God, Jesus is actually our brother. And our God is our father. Thus, we have become heirs with Christ according to the promise God gave to Abraham in Genesis chapter 3. Listen carefully. I hope this is you also. I hope this is your mode of thinking. Because I would rather be an adopted son of God than a bonafide, full-blooded son of the devil. <laughs> Hear me? I would rather be an adopted son of God than a bonafide, full-blooded son of the devil. Some people look down on adoption, saying, you know, that old saying, you know, blood is thicker than water. Well, in this case, actually, our adoption is by blood. Amen? <laughs> our adoption is by blood. The precious blood of Jesus spilt on Calvary. Hmm. You know, sometimes children who are adopted achieve greatness, not in spite of the fact that they're adopted, but because of the fact that they're adopted. So years ago, a baby boy was born to unwed college students. They gave him up for adoption because they could not afford to raise and care for the baby. As a grown man, he recalls his childhood of growing up with his adopted father, who was a mechanic, and having an influential neighbor who was an engineer. 
And that ignited the seed of genius of which we are all recipients. In his book entitled Chosen for Greatness, Paul Batura writes about this little boy. He said, although the boy didn't embrace his father's love of automobile mechanics, his father first introduced him to electronics. Given the critical role that they played in cars. The man later wrote in his autobiography that my father showed me the rudiments of electronics and I got very interested in that. Every weekend there would be a junkyard trip. We'd be looking for a generator, a carburetor, all sorts of components. From the, from the book entitled Chosen for Greatness, It reads that his father encouraged his son to accept an invitation from a man called Larry Ling, who was an executive of the Hewlett-Packard. And he invited a number of kids in the neighborhood to join a club that was called the Hewlett-Packard Explorers Club was a group of students who met weekly in the company's cafeteria. They would use an engineer from one of the labs and they would, the engineer would come and talk to the boys. He said, my dad would drive me there every week and I was in heaven. He said, I saw my first desktop computer those of you who are interested in computers, you can think. He said, I saw my first desktop computer. I was told it was almost 40 pounds in weight. <laughs> there was a group project that was required at his school. And the group project needed parts and he didn't have it. This little boy took the yellow pages and looked up Bill Hewlett, the CEO of HP. He introduced himself and told him that he was a member of the kids group at his business and that he needed a part for his project at school. He not only received the part he was looking for, but he also got an offer for a summer job, which he eagerly accepted. You see, all this probably would not have taken place if he wasn't adopted didn't take place in spite of, it took place because of being adopted. This boy grew up to become the man we knew as Steve Jobs.
co-founder of Apple. I could tell you more about Steve Jobs or I could tell you more about others like Steve Jobs who were adopted and blossomed and prospered and was a blessing to humanity not in spite of but because they were adopted. I could tell you of Nancy Reagan adopted. I could tell you of Nelson Mandela adopted. I could tell you of Babe Ruth, of John Hancock, of Dave Thomas, of Art Linkletter. I could tell you of Gerald Ford. I could tell you of George Washington Carver, of Johann Sebastian Bach, and, and, and don't ever forget the ultimate adoption story of all, the goat of all adoption stories. I could tell you of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, adopted by his earthly father, Joseph. Yes, we are children of God because we are adopted into God's family. But Galatians chapter 4, Paul reminds us that the Father sent the Son on a mission to redeem lost humanity. To free us from the slavery of sin. And to favor us with an inheritance that is not of this world. Galatians chapter 4 and verse 5. Yes, we were adopted. But in the adoption process is a redemption process. And the word redeem literally means to buy back. All around the country and in many other parts of the world, uh, you can find what is known as redemption centers. Those of us are frugal enough to collect the used soda cans, Bring them to one of these redemption centers, turn them in, and we receive a nickel or a dime for each can. In other words, the center buys back the cans from us. The center redeems the can. Hence, they're called redemption centers. Now understand that the Redemption Center accepts all kinds of cans. <laughs> Some cans look almost new. They just have the tab at the top. They just have that tab missing maybe or maybe punched in but still there. They look almost new. But they're not. They're damaged. Some cans are crushed. Some don't even look like soda cans anymore. Some are soiled, dirty. But the Redemption Center takes them all. They've all been used. Some have been abused. But the Center takes them all. In the end, they get recycled and are turned into brand new cans. Very symbolic of what Christ does for us. The world would use us. The world would abuse us. And then the world will refuse us. 
But when we go to God's redemption center, he buys us back with the blood of Christ and we are made brand new. Amen. We are made brand new. Not with a nickel, not with a dime, but with the precious blood of Christ. The beloved Apostle John puts it this way. <laughs> what manner, what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us. What manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called the children of God. And that is what we are. Amen. See, the problem addressed in Galatians was that some folks were claiming that a disciple of Christ could and should add something to what Christ had done in Calvary. It's kind of like they were, they were saying, you need to uh, have a backup plan. You need to have an insurance policy. Uh, you know, kind of a backup plan just in case the salvation, you know, just in case the Calvary thing, just in case that isn't good enough, we can have a backup plan and, to, you know, we can make it into the kingdom. Probably they were not thinking that, but that's what it boils down to. Because if you're going to add anything, if you're going to say, oh, you can accept Christ, but you also have to do this, you are by, 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 by just common sense reasoning, you're saying that the work done on, by Christ on Calvary is not good enough. Not enough. We know it is. Not so, objected Paul. Our adoption and thereby our inheritance have been sealed by God's promise to Abraham. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Verse 29. Our inheritance of his saving presence, of his saving presence in this world and the hereafter is a promise by the Father, is procured by the Son, and is protected by the Spirit. It's promised by the Father, procured by the Son, and protected by the Spirit. We have been accepted and adopted by God because God's promise Christ's meritorious work on Calvary is for all. Amen. Amen.